vaccinate or not to vaccinate? And how much can government do or be able to do or should be able to do, rather, is the question to compel you to vaccinate. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so in one of several ways. You can either go to the relevant app store of the device you use, the iTunes app store, the Google Play store, and download the NPO podcast and click subscribe. Or you can download the free Podbean app available in either of those locations. Podbean is the hosting service that myself and others use to do these podcasts, and you can subscribe that way. The most important thing is that you do subscribe. If you subscribe, you will never miss a detail, and everything is free. So you don't have to pay for anything. You'll automatically be notified whenever a new episode is uploaded, and you can leave comments and reviews uh, or requests that we cover uh, certain topics. And we please do ask you that you do leave positive reviews. The more reviews we get, the faster the show will grow, the more readily it will be discovered by others like yourself who are seeking new and insightful conservative content by way of podcasts, and we'll be able to reach that audience. So we encourage you to do so. So the vaccine, I'm sure that like most people, you felt that once the vaccine was out and a significant percentage of the population was vaccinated, that uh, things would begin to loosen up. Yet you're seeing people vaccinated, uh, particularly the more vulnerable among us, because the arguments being made, well, not enough people have been vaccinated yet. Well, you already know by now from the statistical data, which is undeniable, that the overall survival rate of COVID-19 in the general population is above 99%. That's incredible. If you have to get a disease, let me get COVID. I want something with a 99.5% survival rate. I don't want something like cancer where I don't know what's going to happen or it's going to come back on me and so forth. Now, there are those people who are at risk uh, who legitimately have something to fear from COVID or from any infectious disease or any disease whatsoever that affects the lungs if you already have compromised lungs or if you have some other underlying condition that predisposes you to a more violent uh, episode of this pandemic. So I can understand that. But precisely for that reason, vaccines have been prioritized since not enough was available all at one shot to inoculate everyone. It's been prioritized for those who are the most vulnerable. And as more and more of those people are inoculated, they begin lowering the bar, making the ages lower and so forth, so that many people can get inoculated. Now, I think they've lowered it well into the 50s or just about 50, whereas just last month it was above 60 and so forth. So progress is being made. So even though we only have 14% of the population or 15% fully vaccinated, another 20 or 30 percent have, re- have received at least the first dose. Uh, we're well on our way to being vaccinated. And there's also the herd immunity from those who have not yet been vaccinated, but have already had COVID, whether they realize it or not, and have survived it. And yet we don't see any change. In fact, government is now overreaching. You've all heard of the talk about vaccine passports. Now, that's extremely disturbing to me. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I have had the vaccine, and I'm not a big fan of it. But let me explain for those of you who have not listened to the show before or did not listen to the episode when I explained this. 
I've had my first shot, and my second shot is due um, later this month in about a week or so. And I only did it for one reason. I work for myself. I'm self-employed. This podcast was my latest business venture. I love starting businesses and running businesses. It's like a hobby of mine. I have two other businesses. Unfortunately, both of those businesses are service-oriented businesses. I have to be able to deal with the public. And they're both businesses that came under the thumb of governmental regulation, uh, as is the case of Governor Cuomo here, Il Duce, in the state of New York, where he closed a number of businesses that he felt that he wanted to close in an effort to try and curb the pandemic. It was mostly garbage, but he did it anyway. I fell into that category. So my businesses were devastated. So in addition to always um, being fascinated by politics and with politics, I wanted to uh, have another business. So I decided to mix vocation and avocation and come up with the NPO podcast. Now, I had come up with NPO online a few years prior where I was writing articles. And then as my other businesses got busy, I wasn't writing as many articles. And I'll be getting back to writing more articles soon, as soon as I get this podcast up and running to where I would like it. But I thought, you know, a more aggressive way, a less, a less passive way of reaching the public, instead of writing articles and relying on the public to read it, how about coming up with a podcast whereby people could listen to it on their morning commute via Bluetooth in their car or on headphones when they're on the train, and it's more easily consumable for people. So I come up with the NPO podcast, and I did it because I wanted to address these political issues, and also I wanted to create a third business that should ever another eventuality befall us where the government seeks to cripple us financially like they've done with the restaurant business and entertainment businesses, that I would be somewhat immune from it. Because all I need to do this show is access to my computer, the internet, and a microphone. And that's it. I bring this show to you. And I'm damn proud of the show that we, that we put out this way. And we hope that this will become successful commercially so that I can insulate myself from these problems. So that having been said... I was in a position whereby my businesses were, were being destroyed and whereby if I got COVID, I wouldn't be able to work. Because slowly but surely, one of my businesses is coming back, the other one coming back at a very, very sharply reduced level. Uh, but if I had to be tested in order to work at an entertainment event and I were to get a false positive, I would have to cancel that entertainment event, at least my participation in it, I would have to refund the money. I would probably have to cancel any events that I had the following week. And then I would have to close my other business, which is a service business, and either take that loss, refund some money, or pay someone to run it in my absence, which is the same difference. So there's a tremendous financial consequence uh, to me not getting the vaccine. Whereas if I worked for an agency, a government agency or an employer, I would be paid if I were forced to stay home uh, because I was quarantined with COVID. I don't have that. I don't work. I don't eat. My family doesn't eat. So I was forced. And I can't tell you how it grates me and rubs against the grain for me to have to take that vaccine. And so now we're seeing that the vaccines are not enough. They've got people vaccinated. They're still demanding that you mask up. And now the idea is being floated of these vaccine passports. 
So my question is, should you get the vaccine? Or my question to you is, should you get the vaccine? Well, if you're in a position like mine, where your financial survival and the well-being and survival of your family depend on your ability to work, and you work for yourself, and you could be in a similar position to me if you get a false positive or get the COVID, then the vaccine becomes almost a matter of necessity. If you are someone who will be compensated by your company or by the government, if you are somehow incapacitated or get a positive test for COVID, then I recommend you don't get it. Unless you, of course, have one of those aforementioned underlying conditions which seriously compromises your health and predisposes you for a very, very bad outcome should you contract COVID or anything else for that matter. But the government always seeks to capitalize on any uh, crisis to enhance the power within itself. And we see this now with the vaccine passports. There are people uh, that are advocating passports, requiring people to prove that they've been vaccinated in order to be able to avail themselves of um, travel and so forth. And there's been a lot of articles written lately. It was an excellent article written by Roger Time, Roger Simon uh, in the Epic Times last week, uh, focusing on Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, who was one of the first governors, maybe the first, to come out and push back hard uh, against this vaccine passport idea. And you have to give a certain degree of credibility to Governor DeSantis. He's run his state very well. It's still thriving. Uh, he got none of the credit that Governor Cuomo did, and all Cuomo did was send approximately 20,000 seniors to their deaths by mismanaging the hell out of the nursing home scandal and the COVID-19 crisis. Cuomo's a piece of garbage, and now we know he's a sexual deviant and reprobate as well. So no, no uh, kudos to Governor Cuomo. But in this article, I'll take some quotes from it, Roger Simon writes, I was going to write of the need for something I call a new federalism, but Ron DeSantis beat me to it by actually demonstrating it by acting. On March 29th, the Florida governor announced he would take emergency executive action against vaccine passports, explaining it this way, quote, it's completely unacceptable for either the government or the private sector to impose upon you the requirement you show proof a vaccine to just simply be able to participate in normal society. DeSantis has actually been leading the way against such passports for some time. Meanwhile, New York and the federal government are going in the opposite direction, working to roll out the passports. New York is already experimenting with an Excelsior pass for cell phones. Now, I don't even know what the hell that is. While Biden, the Biden administration, is apparently cooperating with private industry in devising and actualizing their manufacture uh, or similar for the entire country. I kid you not. There's something eerily similar in this to the Soviet internal passport, although it's yet more ominous because it would be connected to the Internet. It may only take a flick of the algorithm to add all sorts of restrictions or morph the passport into, almost inevitably over time, an American version of the social credit system already in use by the Chinese Communist Party. Sneaking, sneaking off to Cancun without the second vaccine? Four demerits. Disobeying the latest edict from Dr. Fauci? Nine demerits. Driving a non-electric Harley? Fourteen demerits. 
attending an unlicensed school, 60 demerits. Reading books banned by Amazon, a mortgage application denied. But this is only one of the many escalating reasons for this new federalism. On multiple levels, from election integrity to education to infrastructure, the current federal administration is working in diametric opposition to the wishes of the citizens of a majority of the states. This is ultimately an untenable situation for a democratic republic if it wishes to survive, or as Benjamin Franklin famously said upon leaving the Constitutional Convention, a republic if you can keep it. Yes, I know the quote may be apocryphal, it says, but like many such statements, there's a reason it lives on. What we need now is a renewed republic, a renewed and stronger federalism. That's why I call it a new federalism. Many governors are now coming out uh, against these vaccine passports, several of them, as a matter of fact, several of them. And there's a lot of reasons to come out against the vaccine itself. Uh, we just heard that a vaccine site in Dick's Sporting Goods in Colorado was shut down after 11 people had adverse reactions on site during the 15-minute post-vaccination monitoring period. This was the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. 600 people who had appointments were turned away from this event. It was a vaccine for all event in Commerce City, and now that is shut down. The ACLU is warning that a lot can go wrong with vaccine passports. The governor of Missouri is coming out against vaccine passports looking to pass uh, legislation to prevent that from happening. And Governor Kemp of Georgia has voiced his disapproval for vaccine passports. He is the latest governor voicing a stance against this controversial proposal. Quote, I do not and will not support any kind of state-mandated vaccine passports, while the development of multiple safe, highly effective COVID-19 vaccines has been a scientific miracle, the decision to receive the vaccine should be left up to each individual. Other Republican governors have recently expressed their concern over the ethics of introducing vaccine passport measures. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly, a Democrat, has also said she has no interest in vaccine passports and that her state will not be issuing those under my authority. Early Tuesday morning, Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced on Twitter that he issued an executive order banning vaccine passport mandates. Texans shouldn't be required to show proof of vaccine and reveal private health information just to go about their daily lives. I issued an executive order that prohibits government-mandated vaccine passports in Texas. Don't tread on our personal freedom. And Missouri's Republican Governor Mike Parson also articulated his disapproval for the idea in an appearance on Fox and Friends. We're never going to do that in the state of Missouri. We're never going to have a mandate, a vaccine passport in this state. If people want to carry a card, that's fine. That's called freedom. It's called individual rights, but it's not the government's place to do that. Now, I just want to point out something to you. There's a thing in this country called the HIPAA law. Uh, you're not required to give out privileged information. So if you have a respiratory condition or any sort of medical condition that would prevent you from wearing a mask because let's say you're respiratorily compromised and you have a difficult time getting enough oxygen in as it is, 
And now you're sitting there with this silly mask on your face, looking like a bank robber. And you're rebreathing in a certain amount of CO2, which wasn't that supposed to be a dangerous gas, according to these global, global warmists and climate change lunatics, CO2, you know, greenhouse gas and so forth. So now they're forcing you to breathe that in while you're wearing the mask. And you get a little lightheaded. You can take that mask off. And when they tell you you have to wear the mask, you say, I have a medical condition. And under the HIPAA law, I don't have to tell you what the medical condition is or even prove to you that I have it. It's kind of similar to walking with a cane. You don't need a prescription to buy a cane. You don't need a permit for a cane. And you don't need to prove that you have a disability in order to use a cane. And if people want to presume you have a disability because you're walking with a cane, that's fine. You don't have to prove that you have a disability. And they can't question it. If you say you have a disability or if you've injured your ankle, you can use a cane. So a lot of these things are overreach. And people are just like sheep consenting to this stuff where if they knew what to say and how to say it, they wouldn't run afoul of the law and they wouldn't have to comply with a lot of these things. But in your, your red states, it's not a problem because they're standing up for individual rights. Isn't it funny that in these red states where the Democrats want you to believe that people are white supremacists and they're against individual freedom and against everybody. This is where freedom is thriving. This is where your individual liberties are being protected. But in the very, very sympathetic, know-it-all, championing every third world idiot coming into this country and every psycho that thinks he's a woman when he's not because he has a, a male genitalia between his legs, those states, the blue states, they want to take away your freedom. They want to take your individual away. They want to hold you out to public ridicule if you don't wear a mask and if you don't have the vaccine. And now they want to institute something which so smacks of Nazi Germany, the vaccine passport. Where are your papers? You want to travel? Where are your papers? And don't think it's not coming. I'll guarantee you in a New York airport, they're going to try and prevent you from getting on a plane or public transportation unless you can prove you've had the vaccine. It's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. Pushback is happening all over. And it's not just to do with um, the vaccines. Populations can only be pushed so far. And when they're pushed further than that, they begin to push back. We saw this now, we're seeing this now in the aftermath of the 2020 presidential election. Now, 73 million people in this country, a substantial number of the voting public, believes that election was stolen, and I'm one of them. And there's mathematical reasons why I believe this and why I can prove this. And all of these stories you've read in the media, as I've said before, where they tell you none of these things were ever proven, none of these uh, cases, none of these legal challenges were ever dismissed on the merits. They never even looked at the data. They just dismissed it all on threadbare issues of standing, and some of the articulations of the issues of standing didn't even pass constitutional muster. As Justice Thomas pointed out, as uh, Justice Alito pointed out, when a state wants to seek relief suing another state, we have to hear the case. We're the court of original jurisdiction. It isn't as if these states have another place to go to resolve their issues. They can't resolve it in their respective state courts because there's a bias there. They need, an, uh, in, theor- in theory, unbiased arbiter for their disputes, and that is the Supreme Court of the United States. 
So when they threw out that case and refused to even hear it, that was a terrible dereliction of duty on the part of the Supreme Court. So now, to address some of these problems, the state of Georgia, which was the topic of many, many such problems in the voting, uh, passed sweeping reform in the way of new voter laws. They're going to require voter ID. They're going to require that you have to register in advance. They're going to uh, restrict certain things that were um, rife with corruption, but they're not going to restrict certain others. Uh, There's been a lot of rhetoric from the Democrats saying that this new law uh, sharply limits voting access. But if you examine this 98-page bill, um, it has only a minor impact on voting convenience. Yes, it makes it a little less convenient, but it does so at the benefit of increasing security. The convenience that was purchased under these uh, new steps that were put in place by executive fiat increased voting convenience at the risk of increased fraud. The law expands early voting to an additional Sunday and extended the hours which some polls can open. The law cuts both ways on other measures while ramping up the security of the ballot drop boxes. The law limited their number and when they could be accessed. Now, there's been a lot of protests about this Georgia law. A lot of protests and a lot of fallout. Among that fallout, enter Major League Baseball. They're now going to boycott the All-Star Game in Georgia. They're going to remove the All-Star Game, which was slated to be played this year in Georgia, in Atlanta, uh, at the home of the Brave Stadium, and they're going to find an alternative location. Now, all of a sudden, Stacey Abrams doesn't look so good because of her protesting of the law. A lot of money is going to be removed from Georgians because it brings a lot of commerce to the state when the All-Star Game is played there. Now the All-Star Game is not going to be played there. And is that the way we want to go about this? What is Major League Baseball doing getting involved in the voting laws uh, of the state? Someone weighed in on this and someone who knows something about it. Uh, A man named Faye Vincent. For those of you too young to know who Faye Vincent is, Faye Vincent is getting on in years now, but he was the former Major League Baseball commissioner. And this past Tuesday, he criticized the league's current commissioner, Robert Manfred, for moving the All-Star Game out of Atlanta in protest of election reforms enacted by the Georgia governor and the legislature. He wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal and argued that the current commissioner uh, probably made the decision to boycott Atlanta without even examining the substance of the reforms. And he also lamented the sport being used as a weapon in a cultural war, in a political war. Quote, baseball can't become, Major League Baseball, that is, can't become a weapon in the culture wars, a hostage for one political party or ideology. It can't be only for the rich or the poor, nor can it be for only one race, as it was until 1947. Baseball must always stand above politics and its dark elements of corruption, greed, and sordid selfishness. It can't go wrong by standing for national greatness, Vincent wrote. Now, there's a lot to take in there, and 
Commissioner Vincent, former Commissioner Vincent, is quite right. Major League Baseball has no business weighing in on this. And it isn't like there isn't some validity uh, behind the reasons that caused the governor and the legislature to work together to pass these laws. Look what happened over here in Pennsylvania. There was a lawsuit filed November 3rd after the election when then-candidate Joe Biden took a lead over President Donald Trump in Pennsylvania. Out of this uh, litigation, the Pennsylvania state government has been forced to remove 21,000 dead people off its voter rolls. That's right. This was a lawsuit settled by the Public Interest Legal Foundation. It was filed in November and alleged that some 21,000 dead people were still on the state's voter rolls during the 2020 presidential election. This marks an important victory for the integrity of elections in Pennsylvania, said Public Interest Legal Foundation President and General Counsel J. Christian Adams. The Commonwealth's failure to remove deceased registrants created a vast opportunity for voter fraud and abuse. It is important to not have dead voters active on rolls for 5, 10, or even 20 years. This settlement fixes that. The foundation said it found that 9,212 of the 21,000 voters have been dead for more than five years, and that nearly 2,000 voters have been dead for more than 10 years. The settlement stipulates that the Department of State shall transmit to each county commission the names of the individuals registered in each respective county identified as deceased as a result of the comparison undertaken with the death data set received from Electronic Registration Information Center. Now, this is a long way towards improving voter integrity in the state of Pennsylvania, and other states should follow suit. There should be no reason that dead people are on the roll. In fact, the government's always looking to enhance their, their role in the state of affairs of the day-to-day lives of the American people. Why don't we make it a law in every state that any time a death certificate is filed, that death certificate has to be juxtaposed against the state's voter rolls to make sure that person, if they're on it, is no longer on it anymore, that they're removed. You can't have people voting after they're dead. And isn't it funny, all these dead people vote Democrat. I guess when you go into the great beyond, uh, you just become a little more liberal and you decide to vote Democrat. It's amazing how no one uh, passes into the afterlife and decides to vote Republican. Joe Frazier, uh, I'm told, even voted in the last election. He's been dead for quite some time. And he was a registered Republican. I'd love to see who they say Joe Frazier voted for. I can't possibly believe that Joe Frazier voted Uh, for Joe Biden. I just can't. Not the kind of man he was. He was a real man. Not like what we have today. Well, that's all for this episode. Uh, We'll be posting it up. Stay tuned for tomorrow. As I told you this week, we're working on a Tuesday through Saturday schedule. We were a little bit overwhelmed on Monday following the Easter holiday the day before on Sunday. So we've altered our schedule. And we're going to do a, a Tuesday through Saturday schedule this week instead of our regular Monday through Friday. So please join us for the next episode. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.